0: Welcome to a brand new Tuesday edition of Problematic Women. I'm Virginia Allen and I, I really don't think that I'm being dramatic when I say that our guest today really embodies the kindness, the boldness, and the love of a woman like Mother Teresa. Tori Hope Peterson is a name that you all may know from Instagram. She has a pretty big presence on social media, but Tori is a mom. She's a wife, a speaker, and she's now a book author. And she has this wild and crazy story of growing up in foster care, of finding faith in God, even as an adult being crowned Mrs. Universe, uh, and now running a ministry to help foster kids really find the value and the beauty in their story. So I'm Just thrilled to be talking with her today. Without further ado, let's go ahead and get to my conversation with Tori Peterson. It is my joy to welcome to the show Tori Hope Peterson. She is a speaker, a mom, a wife, Mrs. Universe 2021, and the author of the new book, fostered one woman's powerful story of finding faith and family through foster care. Tori, thank you so much for being
1: here. Thank you so much for having me. It's my (laughs) pleasure. So
0: I actually first discovered a little bit about you on Instagram, just reading your posts, and you have gained a huge following across social media just from being vulnerable, from telling your story, being real. When you first started doing that and just opening up and sharing your story on social media. Did you ever imagine that it would go so viral?
1: No, absolutely not. I mean, I thought, I remember someone asked me like, how many followers do you want to have? And I said, enough followers to write a book. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I thought that was maybe like a thousand. Um, I'm like, I always thought like, yeah, if a thousand people follow me, a thousand people would probably buy my book that's totally not how that works. (laughs) Um, And I was like, I just need like 10 foster kids to read this book and know that Jesus loves them, that there's hope for their future. Um, And then it ended up, honestly, it's gotten a lot more complicated than I ever anticipated it to be because social media is complicated. It's complex. There's a lot of nuances to it. And it's kind of humorous in a way sometimes. But like it's just complex, and um, I'm really thankful for the community that's there. I love it, and it has allowed me to to write the book. So I, I guess it did its job. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it sounds like it did. It sounds like it did its job pretty well. So your your new book, Fostered, it's out uh, October 15th, correct?
1: Yes, it's out October 15th. Listen to this. This is a crazy thing. Okay, the book released already. August 30th. And okay. that was that was its original release date. It was ordered like we had so many pre-orders we couldn't fulfill them. We didn't print oh, wow. enough. The publisher didn't print enough books, like way underestimated the book. So to get like to have an actual launch and publishing day, um we had to actually change the date to October 15th because on October uh, August 30th when we originally released You couldn't even buy it anywhere. It was crazy. Wow. It was crazy. crazy.
0: Well, that's a pretty good reason to have to push the launch that the demand is so high. That's exciting. It
1: it definitely was initially very disappointing, but I'm just like, okay, God, this is in your hands. I trust you that it's going to be made good. And so we're less than a month out now.
0: So the book is Fostered, One Woman's Powerful Story of Finding Faith and Family Through Foster Care. And I know you talk about that this book is so vulnerable. You're so real. You're so honest about your story. Share a little bit of your story with us. How old were you when you first entered foster care yourself?
1: So I first went into care when I was three years old due to a drug bust, but I was reunified with my mom. And that's one of the jobs of the foster care system that people don't understand. Sometimes people think like, okay, kids are going to go into the foster care system and then they just get to be adopted. Um, And then some people are very much like the foster care's only role is reunification. But I like to say the foster care's purpose is to make families whole, whether that's through reunification or kinship or adoption um, or just traditional foster care. So um, I was reunified with my mom and then I lived with her until I was an adolescent, but her mental illness, it continued to get worse. And so me and my sister re-entered the foster care system and um, we were separated within a month of being together, which was really hard because I thought like when we entered that it was going to be an opportunity to really have like a normal family, to escape the abuse, to have a different life. And but really, we kind of entered into just a different kind of chaos. Hmm. And I went to go move throughout 10 more different homes until I emancipated the day I turned 18.
0: So you lived in 10 different foster care homes.
1: From the first time that I entered when I was three to when I emancipated, I believe I lived in 12 total. Wow. That's a lot.
0: What, what as a kid were some of the messages that you felt like you were receiving while you were in foster care? What were some of the things that you were wrestling with, um, both as, as a child, as you know, a little girl when you are in foster care, and then as a preteen, as a teen?
1: I think the message was really pretty consistent. I just wanted to show people that I wasn't a bad kid, mm. um, that I was good. I had a friend who wanted to hang out with me, and she was probably my closest friend at school at the time. And her dad said, I don't want you to hang out with her because she's in foster care. And usually those kids are trouble." And Mm -hmm. um, so I just always felt like I was trying to show people like, look, I'm not a bad kid. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm a good kid. And that was a huge motivation behind getting good grades and behind doing well in track. And um, in a a way, it was kind of healthy the way that the places that I put it. And um, I'm thankful for that because it allowed for me to be where I am now. But I definitely think that I still have conditions to where I I'm finding that narrative now. Like I just want to show there are people, you know, who've walked out of my life today. and We kind of all have those people who might be more distant than others. And I always just want to be like, but look, like I'm worth being close to. Like, look, I'm good. And I'm trying to prove to them that I'm not bad Mm -hmm. still.
0: Wow. That's, it's so fascinating how those things I think go so deep, right? Like what, what is ingrained in us as a kid, as a teenager, It takes years to undo those things because that's such a malleable age.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And like, I know in my heart, I know in my mind that God made me good, that he Mm -hmm. loves me. But when people maybe have similar tendencies to um, the people that I experienced when I was in the foster care system, it's like my brain instantly goes back to like, just that little girl being like, look, I'm good. I'm good. Like, let me show you. Um, And so it's honestly, I always have to go back to the truth of like, God made you good. He loves you. You'll never be enough, but Christ is enough. Um, Just going back to that over and over again.
0: And where, where did that come from? Where did you start to kind of find that truth and hold on to that truth of, no, like the Lord is enough and the Lord made me in his image and said that I'm good. And, was that something that you were raised with?
1: Yeah. Um, it was not something I was raised with. Um, (laughs) kind of, it's funny because my birth mom would say that she's Christian and there were Bible verses hanging around, um, our home, but I felt like those scriptures were used, um, almost in an abusive way. Mm -hmm. And, um, then I went to into the foster care system and I had different Uh, foster families who brought me to church in my 11th foster home the foster parents proclaimed the name of Jesus we went to church every Sunday but then behind closed doors they abused their kids and so there was a lot of confusion Mm -hmm. about who God was I kind of didn't want anything to do with him because I didn't want to wear a mask like I wanted to be known I wanted to be loved and I was like I'm just not about these people being fake like saying that they're loving they had good reputation in the town And then like in the home, it was just so different than how people perceive them. So I was really angry at God because of that. And then um, they were caught in their abuse. I went to move on to my 12th foster home and the foster mom proclaimed the name of Jesus, took me to church every Sunday. And she really sacrificed a lot for me, changed her lifestyle, felt like she just really loved me. And I was like, I felt like God taught me like, there are two different ways you can proclaim my name, and one is mm-hmm. going to hurt people, and one is going to heal people. One's going to mm-hmm. push people away from me, and one's going to draw people closer to me. Um, and that was um, hard for me to wrap my head around because I think I still was like, "But how could you be so good?" You know, and people have to um, endure the suffering. And then as I just kept going to church. I started to realize like we, you know, we endure suffering because we are reflections of Christ and we are made in God's image and Christ's greatest glory was through suffering. Um, and if we have to suffer um, to reflect him, it also means that our suffering wasn't wasted because his wasn't. And so I really held on to that hope. And I just said like, God, you're the father I've always been looking for. Uh, You're the father that's loved me and protected me and filled the gap that no earthly father ever could have. And so I'm your daughter. I'm going to give this life to you and you're going to use my suffering for good. I trust that you're going to use this suffering for good. And he has ever since. Wow. So how old were you when you were adopted? So I was adopted as an adult. Um, And I was actually, I should say, I was never actually officially adopted. I say I was adopted. Um, my track coach. So my senior year, my junior year in between my junior and senior year, my track coach said, Tori, I think you can go to the state track meet and you can win it. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to give that a whirl. And if it doesn't work out, I'm going to blame him. Cause this was like his crazy idea. <laughs> like, I'm like, that is crazy. But through that, we came, re- became really close. I trained with him nearly every day and he would bring me to his house and he would cook me dinner. Um, I emancipated the foster care system when I was 18, so sometimes I would, didn't have anywhere to go. And he ended up inviting me into his home and letting me be a part of his family. And he really meant it. He was like, "Like I, I, I can be your dad. My daughters are your sisters. My mm-hmm. mom is your grandma. Like We are here for you. And that year, I went on to be a four-time state champion in track and field. That's what allowed me to get a full-ride scholarship to college and become a part of the 3%. Um, a foster youth to graduate college. But in the midst of all of that, you know, he was always there. He was the home that I came back to during the holidays. You know, some kids, they go on to college. Um, The very few, the few that do foster kids that do go on to college, they don't, have places to go back home to like they just chill at college during Christmas mm-hmm. break and they might not have people to spend Christmas with or there are some nonprofits that like house kids during the holidays but I went I went home I got to go home every Christmas and mm-hmm. um, they always treated me and they still do like it, I think I say it like it's in the past because I then I wasn't expecting them to be my family after college like I just thought okay this is like they're just standing in so I have somewhere to go like for Christmas and then it it was so much more than that always though but I I couldn't in my heart and in my mind like register that and then when I graduated college and they like came and visit I was living in Minnesota for a few years so like 12 hours away from them and they drove all the way there to like visit me Mm -hmm. and my grandma came with them and my dad Scott he walked me down the aisle um, at my Mm -hmm. wedding and so I was I, I think it was after college that it really sunk in like I changed my name to his family last name when I was in college. And so that's mm-hmm. what, when we said that I was adopted, the adult adoption was like $3,000 where a name change was like a hundred. So that's why we did it that way <laughs> because we were like, this is what we can afford. Yeah, um, And so we were like, yes, like I'm adopted. It was a hard adoption, but I think it really like sunk in wet after I graduated college. Cause I was like, Oh, this really is a forever thing. Mm.
0: That's so beautiful. I love that, and to have that kind of hit you in waves of like, oh no, this is real. Like they yes. have said yes to me. Yeah, that is so beautiful. Yeah. And you went to Hillsdale College. How did how did you end up choosing Hillsdale?
1: Um, so this is such a silly story. I actually did not go to Hillsdale College. My first year of college, I went to Ursuline College. Okay. And um, I felt like I wasn't living up my faith. There wasn't a rigorous faith community there, even though they said they were a religious college and I, I was saved when I was 17 and then I like went to college and I didn't really know how to walk out my faith. I wanted to be, I wanted to be a reflection of Jesus and I wasn't, and I Mm -hmm. didn't know how to be. And I kept falling into like these old unhealthy habits and I knew they were sinful and I knew they were wrong. Um, and I knew that they didn't glorify God. So I actually Googled most Christian colleges in the nation. <laughs> and the first one that came up was Brigham Young. And the second one that came up was Hillsdale. No joke. I literally just Googled like, am I Mormon? And like, I, I read some things. I'm like, okay, so I don't think I'm Mormon. Like, I don't, I didn't know nothing about yeah. like, I just knew that I love Jesus. I love this man. <laughs> that I learned about in church and that I read about in my Bible and I wanted to be like him. Like I wanted to love people like he did. I wanted to reach people on the margins like he did. I wanted to include people like he did, but I didn't know how to do that. So and I, I didn't know anything else. And I knew that he saved me. Like I knew that he <laughs> yeah. loved me and like that truth completely changed me. And so the second college on the list was Hillsdale college and I ran track and I reached out to the track coach and I said, I need a full ride to come here. Like I cannot, I can't go to college because I don't have any money um, mm-hmm. and I don't have parents to help me. So this is what I need, but I really want to come to Hillsdale. And he got back to me and he said, absolutely. We want oh. you here. Like it was like uh, probably the next day he was like, absolutely. We want you here. I know part of it was because of my times, you know, <laughs> which is fine. I'll take it. I'll take it. And, um, So I transferred to Hillsdale the next year. And I'm so grateful I did. Got a really good education. And my faith really was formed exactly how I want, like, better than I could have imagined. Exactly how, like, I prayed the prayer, like, God, if I'm going to transfer. Because, you know, it was like, you only get one shot to transfer. You can't transfer, like, twice. Yeah. And so I was like, God, like, if I'm going to transfer, please, like, make this the right school. And um, now I, I really think, I love the way that God, I think that God teaches all of us things like this. We just have to have our eyes open him and our hearts aware. But I love the way that God has taught me. Um, like he taught me through the 11th foster home and the 12th foster home, how, how proclaiming his name could hurt people and heal people. That is, mm. There's two different ways to kind of go about it. And then in, in college, he taught me, um, you know, where we are rooted, the environment that we are in really does affect, uh, the way we express our faith and the way we walk in our faith. Um, because I think people can be like, well, this is between me and God. But really, God calls us to community for a reason. And, um, I'm so thankful that He taught me that through my transfer and through my experience at Hillsdale.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. Wow. And how did you go from being at Hillsdale, running track, graduating, and then starting to speak and share your story uh, and really gaining this platform?
1: So I had my first speaking engagement when I was 16. Um, My church... Uh, they were like, we want you to share um, what it's like being in foster care. My church had a, a huge heart for kids in foster care. A lot of the people in leadership were foster parents or had um, like parachurch foster care ministries. They were very involved. And so they would have me at like their foster care trainings. And so uh, p- seeds were like planted then. I had no idea that this is what I was going to be doing. But I see that like God was planting seeds and they were equipping me to do what I'm doing now. Um And, yeah, they were just like, like, share. And so I I did that I did awareness events. And then, of course, I took kind of a break when I was in college, but still some places would reach out, um, like just nonprofits and different churches, and they'd be like, hey, can you come share your testimony? And I mean, Like I would, I would sit on the stage. I was so nervous and I would like shake because I was so nervous. Mm. And um, then I graduated uh, college and still people got like, I wasn't a good speaker. The people (laughs) kept asking me. And so I would, and I felt like to say no was to say no to God. Like he had Mm. given me this story. He had done a work in my life and I did not want to waste the testimony that he had given me. And so I just kept saying yes, like I hated it. But I just kept saying yes, and um, in time, I realized, so when I would kind of prepare my talks, I would type them all out, Um, and I realized that, like, I loved writing, and sometimes I would share my talks, just the writing part, not me speaking, because that freaked me out too much, but the (laughs) writing part on social media, and people would reply, and they'd be like, Tori, you got to write a book, like, you're such a good writer, and I was like, oh, they're just saying that, because, like, they feel bad for me, because I grew up in foster care. (laughs) But people, people like kept saying it. So I was like, maybe I like should write a book. So I started pitching to literary agents and they were like, nobody knows you. Like you can't write a book. And I was like, whoa, okay. I didn't know people had to like know me to write a book. Like, I don't know the authors that I'm reading. Like, I don't know them. Yeah. Um, but I, so I was like, okay, I'm just going to keep sharing on social media. And then through that, people started to know me. And it was actually a publisher that reached out to me and said, hey, do you want to write a book for us? Which is a very roundabout way of getting a book deal. You're supposed to get a literary agent first. And your literary agent supposed to is supposed to pitch to publishers. Mm. Um, so I had my publisher first, and then I had to go like run and get a literary agent, which I knew exactly who I wanted um, because I had done a lot of research beforehand Um, but it was so crazy because when I started writing the book, I was like, this book is for kids in foster care. It's uh, to show them that they're not alone, that they have a hope and a future that they can overcome all things through Christ Jesus, that their identity is a child of God. And then in the midst of me sharing I realized like people were telling me that I was educating foster parents and Mm -hmm. then caseworkers and lawyers and people involved in foster care and then people who wanted to be involved in foster care but didn't know how and then people who wanted to reach people on the margins but didn't know how and then it just became like I was like educating like the whole church Mm -hmm. um And it was, it was not what I anticipated at all. I was like, this, I was like, this book is for those 10 foster kids that like really need to know that Jesus loves them. And then it was like, no, this book is, it, I, this is not what I, I, I'm not, these are not my words. These are literally reviews and what people have said. The book has taught people, they said, it's, it's taught me how to love. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's taught me how to reach people that I wouldn't have otherwise done by -hmm. myself. And that is so encouraging to me cuz that is exactly what I actually want done with the book. I just didn't know it.
0: <laughs> that is so cool. What what encouragement to hear people say that. It's like you are having that that impact that you desired in your heart to have years ago and to see that on on such a widespread scale that a book can have is so, so incredible. And and you're living it too, obviously, every day in your personal life. Uh, you you and your husband, Jacob, you all got married in 2018. Um, and since then, you all yourselves have adopted.
1: Yes. Yeah, so my husband and I took in a young man who's now an adult, and um, we adopted him. And we have two biological children. And we Um, also that sister who I was once separated from now lives with me full time. Um, I'm her kinship care provider. And, um, yeah, it's been foster care is like a wild ride from this side. (laughs) Um, I thought it was a wild ride as a kid, but this is a whole different thing.
0: You're on the other side of the of the narrative now, loving those kids that need it so much. Yeah. yeah, that is wild. Well, and you've actually started something um called the Beloved Initiative. Share just a little bit about what that is.
1: Yeah, so the Beloved Initiative is a 501c3 nonprofit and um you know, there's this idea of being a voice for the voiceless. You've probably heard that. Um and you know, that really works well for the preborn. It does, but for people outside the womb that really doesn't work well like we need to we don't really need to speak for anyone um people have a voice and so we just need to amplify it and listen to them so the nonprofit is really i say that we're learning to be professional lovers of people and i think one of the ways that we do that is we don't speak for others we don't say we're a voice for the voiceless we say the voiceless have a voice we're just going to amplify it and listen to it. So, we create opportunities to do that. One of the ways we started was we gave uh, foster families free family photos because free family photos are a huge investment. We know that, but you don't know if this child's gonna be in your home the next week or the next month. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, children deserve to see their pictures on a wall. They're mm-hmm. told they belong, but then the things that surround them don't really communicate that. They can't paint their own room, there's caution around that. They don't have pictures of themselves hanging on a wall. Um, So we wanted to do that. And then at these photo shoots, we would ask the kids, um, we would say, what do you want people to know about you being in foster care? What do you want people to know about you as foster youth or just as a person? And someone, I did that because that's what someone asked me. It was one of my first ever advocacy events. Um, a nonprofit leader said, what do you want people to know? And I wrote it on a poster board, stop stereotyping me. And I wrote another one that said, I'm not a bad kid. And people were walking by and they had tears in their eyes. And so I, I just know that stories have power and I want to tell them. So another thing that we're doing is we create writing workshops and retreats at a very low cost and sometimes free for survivors so that they can tell their stories just as I have. Um, because our stories, like, our testimonies of what God has done in our lives need to be shared. They influence people. They impact people to get involved, um, and they inspire people to live differently, to live better. Yeah.
0: And your husband Jacob, he's jumped right into this with you. Did is this something that he's always had a heart and passion for? Did Did you sort of share it with him as you all you know were dating and then got
1: got married? Was he always on board? Yeah, you know, I think we've just both grown into it, actually, yeah. because when we actually got married, neither of us were like, we were not like we were going to do foster care. Both of us were like, no, nah, no foster care. Um, but it was actually a teacher who she had homeschooled her children. And she after she had homeschooled her children, she was like, I don't know what to do now. Like, what should I do? And I said, you should go into the public school system. Those kids need a strong Christian woman to you know, be a light to the world, salt to the earth, like that is you going to those public schools. And she was like, no, public schools are like, they're just so bad. They're so corrupt. Like I'm not, I would never do that. And I was like, it made me mad in my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying she was wrong. I'm just saying like, it made me mad. Cause I was like, we have the Holy spirit that dwells within us. That means we can step into the most broken places and we can bring healing and wholeness to them. And that should always be our approach in heart towards broken broken spaces um but I was looking at the foster care system saying the same exact thing
0: (laughs) and the conviction sets in oh
1: yeah and I was like oh god like and so through my anger for this mom teacher god was like he was really like okay but look at the plank in your eye Mm. and it was just like okay god if if I'm bent to step into this Just like, tell me, just make it clear. And I went to a conference and at this conference, there was a speaker who was like, it was just a leadership conference, like not a foster care conference. And it is so rare that you have foster care people because the foster care community, very tight knit. Like we all hang around each other. We all go to the same conferences and stuff. It is very rare that a foster care speaker goes to like just a general leadership conference. And he was there. And he was like telling people to get involved. And I was just like, okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, that's too good. Well, I I can't have you on and not ask about your doing pageants and being crowned Mrs. Universe 2021. Oh my God. Which I, I didn't even realize until recently that, that Mrs. Universe, different from Miss Universe, that that, that is kind of a, an actual thing that people can do. How did you get into that? Okay.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, <laughs> it's a doozy. My husband and I were uh, fostering a sibling group of three, three and under. We had five kids, three and under, with our two biological children. Ooh. And then we were adopting our son. So, it was just like a wild time and I was drained and I thought I just want to like do something fun. I want to do something different. Yeah. Someone presented me the opportunity of pageantry and I had kind of been like, I would never do that. I'm too good for that. Like that's superficial. <laughs> but actually like when I thought about it, I was like, wow, that sounds so fun. Like just to dress up and do your makeup to get your hair done. Like totally in my like mom's sweatpants and my messy bun like that's what I'm wearing right now on this (laughs) podcast and so I was like we're just gonna like give it a whirl and I'm I'm a competitor like track like put this competitive spirit in me and um I was also in a season like I was just like God I'm working for you I'll do anything for you and I was in prayer and I just felt like God was like you don't have to work for me like you Mm -hmm. just be with me like just enjoy Mm -hmm. me and I was like I don't even know how to enjoy God quite honestly like the way I understood God was like was that like I just do all this life all this stuff to just glorify him and I think that is how we should live like live a life that brings glory to our heavenly father but I also think that God calls us to enjoy him and so I was like I don't know how to enjoy you and then the Opportunity of Pageantry was brought about and I was like, I think that would be enjoyable. Like, let's just do it. And uh, there were some times that were like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I'll be I'll be totally honest. It's not the first thing that I I present myself as because I think it's a distraction mm-hmm. to like who I really want to be known as, which is like mm-hmm. I just want to be known as a professional lover of people, a servant of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like this flashy cool title, but I'm the same person that I was before it. And that I was after it. And I think that that's also um, the importance of a title like that, though, is that if you have it, that you can carry out the integrity of it. So that's what the title means to me. I I hope that um, living up to it, not in the way that I dress or do my makeup or my hair, but in the way that I serve my community.
0: I think you are. I think wow. you absolutely are. It's a resounding yes with that. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> loving, you. loving people so well. Well, we we have one question that we'd love to ask all guests on this show, um, and that is: Do you consider yourself a feminist? Yes or no? Why or why not? Ooh. No, no right or wrong answer there.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna say yes. Okay, I why? Think so, um. I don't know. I think that women, (laughs) um, I think that women have, um, so much strength and power, um, as moms. And, um, there are so many women that, you know, they're the foundation of their home and they're also like the foundation of their workplace. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just think everything that a woman has to balance, um, Balance is such a silly word because none of us are really balancing anything. <laughs> we're, all, we're all like falling off the tightrope and just getting, getting back on. But I think uh, I guess how gracefully women can do that um, with the load they carry. Like I guess this, this is the image I have. I literally have an image of like a woman carrying like a, a huge book bag, like walking on a tightrope. I've never communicated this before. Walking on a tightrope and just falling off. And just, like, gracefully, like, getting the backpack and getting back on that tightrope. Um, I think that's what we do as women. I think that we um, are so powerful. And I think that the word feminism has been, like, used and abused. Um, And I'm just going to take it back and say that, like, women, it just means that, like, women have power. Women are incredible Um, loving beings that are the foundation of our society. I think that was my favorite answer that we've
0: ever, ever
1: had on the show. (laughs) I love that. What? Really? That's crazy. That was phenomenal.
0: (laughs) Uh, Okay. So Tori, before we let you go, share with us how we can follow you and how we can get your book on October 15th.
1: Sure. Everything is Tori Hope Peterson. Peterson is S-E-N, not S-O-N. Um, I'm most active on Instagram. um, And you can contact me on my website. If you don't do Instagram, you can find the book anywhere. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target. um, And it's called Fostered. One woman's powerful story of finding faith and family through foster care. I
0: love it. Tori, thank you so much for your time. This has been a blast. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to my conversation with Tori. I hope you all enjoyed that. Again, if you're interested in getting her book, it is out on October 15th, and it's called Fostered, One Woman's Powerful Story of Finding Faith and Family Through Foster Care. Thank you all so much for joining Problematic Women today, and we will be back with you all on Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And In the meantime, if you have never done so, please take a minute to subscribe and share. We would love to hear your feedback and truly getting those reviews on Apple Podcasts. It means a lot to us and we read through all of them. We love hearing your feedback. And of course, you can also send us feedback on Instagram.
1: Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation.
0: It is a product of The Daily Signal produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram.
1: We produce problematic women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.